Welcome back to the Millennials Podcast. Today we are having another book club episode. We read The Paris Bookseller by Terry Maher. So a little bit about why we chose to pick this book. I think that I'd originally come across it on Goodreads and entered a giveaway for it. And I think I thought I won this giveaway, but it was actually a giveaway for a different book. But I entered this one because I thought it would be interesting because it's about like this bookseller in Paris during the 1920s. It just seemed like it would have really like good vibes. And so that's why I entered this one. So overall, do you want to share our overall thoughts and then get into the nitpicky things? Some last minute author bioing. So Carrie Maher is... So basically, based on her website, she says that she lives outside of Boston, but always will say she's from California. So I feel like she's very attached to California, it seems like, because she devoted a whole paragraph about that on her author bio. So she has written some other historical fiction type books. It sounds like I haven't read any of these, but there's The Kennedy Debutante and then The Girl in the White Gloves, a novel of Grace Kelly. So... I think especially that second one is kind of similar to the Paris bookseller because it like this book is focusing on Sylvia Beach. And I think I was interested when we picked this book because I like historical fiction. And I think what I learned from this book is I like historical fiction, but I don't necessarily like historical I don't know the actual terminology, but what I would call like a historical fictional biography. A historical retelling? Yeah, like it almost felt more like a biography, but like a fictionalized version. And I think, not to give too much away, but I think the downfall of that is that if you don't know the people in this story, if it doesn't grab you, it can kind of be a struggle to finish. So I think it's interesting that you said that you like historical fiction, but not historical retelling in a way, just because it reminds me of how I felt about Circe. Because I remember that I didn't particularly care for that book, mostly because it felt like a biography. Kind of like how you said about this one. This one I actually liked a little bit better than Circe, though. I thought that this one was an interesting read. I think it was a very slow-paced read. Like, I don't think it was one that you're, like, racing to finish. It very much felt like a walk through a garden. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it felt like a walk through a garden. Like, you could pick it up. You could put it back down. It was not something that you were racing to finish. I think this kind of goes to something that I mentioned while we were both still reading it, where... When I picked it up, I could get through a few chapters at a time, but every time I put it down, it took a conscious decision to pick it back up. Like it wasn't like, oh, I want to read more. I'm going to like squeeze this in whenever I can and read it. It was kind of more like, okay, I have to finish it by this date. Like you got to get moving. I feel like the pace of the book lent itself to more spread out reading just because It was a very character-driven book rather than a plot-driven book, in my opinion. And we all know how I feel about that. No, I totally agree. Because obviously as a plot, if you don't know, Sylvia Beach basically published one of the first majorly banned books out of her bookshop. So there's that. But 
I think the story was more about her and the different authors that visited her shop and things like that. And that's where I kind of where my opinion of if you knew who these authors were, because I haven't really read a lot of English literature or like older. Well, I have read some of the older like American classic literature because they made you do it in school. But one of the main characters is James Joyce. He's originally from Ireland, but then he left and he kind of doesn't really like at least my impression from her version of the book is that he doesn't really like it there. And so he spends a lot of time based in Paris and he also spends some time in London, but I haven't read any of his stuff. I haven't either. So I think a lot of the references in the book to his works or even some of the other authors' works, they kind of just not really like went over my head because I'm sure if I read those things, I would understand it. But like, I don't know. They, I feel like we were not the target audience of this book is what I got from it. Like, I feel like this book's target audience is people who love historical fiction and specifically historical fiction lovers who really enjoy classic literature. And I feel like you and I, we don't really read that much classic literature on this podcast. I don't know. Maybe we should. I don't know. But there's so much interesting contemporary work that I feel like sometimes it's hard for me to say like, oh, I want to go back and I want to read some Hemingway or something. Not that that work isn't valuable and isn't good. It's just not what I'm currently reading. I imagined the person who loved this book would be an English major. I could see that. I think specifically, like you said, someone who has an interest in like classic literature from the that time period. But I think an English major in general, I'm assuming they make you take certain classes that would probably touch on these people because I think they're very big names in classic lit. So I think just having that more established kind of touchstone could make it more interesting. I think the concept was very interesting. For me, it fell flat in the execution. Yeah, I would agree. I think, I don't know, because even though it was a character-driven book, I felt like in terms of characters, they never felt like fully fleshed out. Because to have a good character-driven book, like you need to know the character like you know yourself. And I think that I just didn't see that here. Like, I think I could probably tell you quite a bit about Joyce. I could probably tell you a decent amount about Sylvia, but I think anybody else within the book was kind of hit and miss. I could tell you some things about Adrienne, but I just felt like the characters to me did not have the punch that they needed to in order to carry the book the way that I wanted it to. And I wonder, not to harp on the same point, but I wonder how much of those characters would have been filled in if we knew more about the real people. Yeah. Like we've been saying, I just feel like we weren't necessarily the target audience for this book. But I feel like the concept was so good, like a bookstore publishing banned books. And like, I don't know. I also really appreciated that, like it told the story of like a lesbian couple during the 1920s, because I was like, because you don't see those stories always told in history. Yeah. All you see is things like, and they were roommates. And you're like, mm, they were roommates. But like, you don't really see the stories told. And so I was like, it was nice to have that. But also, like, it fell flat of my expectations. I wonder if in a weird way it almost 
was trying to do too much because I think it was trying to represent the LGBTQ community at the time, what it was like, because that was specifically mentioned in her author's note, is about how, at least specifically in Paris, is they were fairly open, or they were more open than what we think they would have been. Um, So I think she was really trying to highlight that. But then it was also trying to do this whole woman publishes banned books type narrative too and I feel like almost if it had I don't know if you could really separate them because obviously she was both but I feel like it almost couldn't decide like what it wanted its focus to be on yeah but that's just our overall thoughts on the books let's get into like a couple other questions so that we're not focusing too much on our thoughts on it because like we said we think this would be good for somebody else just maybe not us what did you think about the author's writing style Personally, I hate when people put things in books that are like indented. So say it's if it's like any sort of like, oh, we're going to quote this other person's work for a paragraph or like letters. I hate reading letters in books. And there's a whole chapter of letters. See, that's so interesting because I audiobooked it. So I didn't know there was a whole chapter of letters. I don't hate it because it's indented. I was just using that as like the catch all category. But like. It's almost like, you know, when you would read your high school textbook and it would have like the little block quote of like the real whatever. Sorry, high school histories. I never read that. And I feel like that's what this book did is when I saw that and did it, I was like, next. Oh, because you're talking about the letters to and from Joyce to Sylvia. I see what you're saying. Okay, just kidding. I did obviously know that there were letters. They would change the audiobook voice. Honestly, the letters didn't bother me. I kind of like letters because I feel like it's it allows you the ability to like pick somebody's brain. But I could see where maybe it would frustrate you in the sense of like a formatting issue where it was not formatted the way you like it to be. I feel like usually if I read letters in a book, they're usually like italicized. So maybe that would have been a better route. So, first of all, there was also quotes from literature, which I think, like I said, if I had read those books, maybe I'd be more interested. But for me, it's not even the formatting. It's just the fact that it's a letter. I'm like, I think they're called epistolary novels when you write a book in, like, letter form. I just don't like it. I'm like, I want a narrative. Really? Okay, I kind of like when they tell books through letters. It kind of reminds me of this book that I read way back in the day when I was in, like, eighth grade or something. And it was called The Last Days of Summer. And it was this book that was told more or less entirely through letters about like this, I think it was like some baseball star who was corresponding with like this kid. I don't know why he was, but they were like good friends. It was kind of strange, but it was like an interesting book, an interesting read. I think it was supposed to like play off of Catcher in the Rye, but I've never read Catcher in the Rye, so I couldn't say one way or another. Um, But I really liked it. I mean... I think I like letters. I would have honestly rather it switched perspectives and we just heard Joyce being all like, I want this to happen. I feel like this is novel news that you'd like it to switch perspectives because I feel like that was one of the things that you don't like. No, I think this switch perspective thing is honestly getting blown out of proportion 
because it's been interpreted as I don't like it. And it's not that I don't like it. It's just I think it's overdone. Whereas the letters in books, I actually don't like. Okay. So letters are hard no. Switching perspectives is you got to have a good reason. Yeah. Like, I think my problem with that is people are just doing it because it sells, not because it helps their book. I could see it. Or maybe because they're just like, I just want to experiment with a different writing style. So I'm going to try it. I think it's like my beef with that is just how it's done, not what it is. But letters, I'm just like, I just I just don't want to read people's letters. I don't know. Some people find that interesting. I don't. I find it interesting. I think it's because I have this idea of like, it's kind of like if you were going through your grandparents' house and you find these old letters that they've written to one another from like the early 1900s. And you're like, wow. So this is what they were like at this particular period in time. Like, this is interesting to me. It's kind of like reading somebody's diary, but not. It's a total invasion of privacy. It could be part of the reason why I don't like it. I think also subconsciously, I didn't really care that it wasn't necessarily italicized or whatever. But I think when stuff doesn't take up the full page in my head, it means it's like supplementary. Mm Mm-hmm. I think that was another thing not to heart. It's going to be one of those episodes where we're just like, the book isn't bad, but here's 40 minutes of us talking about what we don't like. But I think it was too long for what it was. Yeah, I could see that. Honestly, though, personally for me, I thought the writing style was fine. I don't think it was one of those books, like I said, that would keep you riveted turning the page like every three seconds because you're like, I need to consume this book. But I do think that It was nice if you're looking for like a slower paced book. If I was to liken this book to an event, it would be going on a walk through a garden or like sipping tea at a tea party. It's a very like slow, relaxed pace. So if you're looking for a book with like a slower pace and you're just looking to very leisurely read it, I think it's fine. Like I liked the author's writing style. I thought it was fine. Yeah. Putting the letters aside, I think her writing was just average. You know, like, wasn't bad. It wasn't Woman of Light or How Much of These Hails is Gold good. Yeah, I agree. So in terms of characters, who is your favorite and your least favorite? Well, obviously, Joyce is my least favorite. And honestly, I didn't really have a favorite because I didn't really care about anyone enough. Like, I think I was rooting for Sylvia because I wanted her to, like, stick it to the publishing industry and publish the book but like I wasn't necessarily attached to her what about you I liked Sylvia and Adrian I thought that they were both like really I thought they were nice characters like I said I didn't feel super attached to them or kind of like you said I should say but in terms of least favorite what was the name of the dude he would always send to the shop to harp on giving up the publishing rights to Sylvia the errand boy that Joyce was sent Oh, my. He was my least favorite character. He was in it for like a chapter. When you audiobook it, he's in it for way too long. Okay. (laughs) When you audiobook it, he's in there for forever. I'm like, man, if I'm getting annoyed listening to this on audiobook, I can't imagine how Sylvia was feeling because, oh, my goodness. I don't know if it helps, but apparently he's a made up character who I think is she said is a compilation of multiple people that he sent. I don't know if it makes it better if you've been bothered by multiple people versus the same annoying like person. 
But I did think that was interesting. I feel like it's worse if it's the same annoying person because I feel like if it's multiple people, they could be more like ignorant towards how annoying they're being because they're like, oh, I'm just saying this one thing. Whereas if it's the same person over and over again, it's like, why? It's oh, it's just it's so annoying. It's like you understand that you're annoying me to the point of giving up the publishing rights to this book, right? That's literally what you're doing. This is the tactic is you're annoying me into it. I think that's funny because I feel how you feel about the errand boy, about Joyce. Just every time he opened his mouth, I'm just like, can you just stop? You just sound like like a self-entitled child. Yeah, Joyce was pretty bad too. But the errand boy was, for me, just incredibly annoying. Like, incredibly so. And I think what really bothered me about it was like, he could use his own brain and put pieces together, but he just didn't. He chose willfully to be ignorant. And I was like, that is super frustrating. And I know that Sylvia didn't like tell him about her reasons why or whatever. She wasn't giving up the publishing rights because she was like, I'm not getting into that with you because I don't want to open up that can of worms. But it was still super annoying. I will have to say, I really like descriptions of when Adrian cooked the different food. I do like a good food description. Not that they were the best or not that they were the most detailed food descriptions ever, but I'm like, ooh, crusty bread with cheese on top. I'll eat that. It does sound delicious. Back to the Aaron boy because I'm still not over it. I'm trying to give some positivity to this episode. I appreciate you, your attempts to give positivity, but the Aaron boy is just is so frustrating to me. I think it's also really frustrating because like the whole book is like a feminist novel, right? Like it's like this is meant to be like, yeah, feminism. But then also you have this character who annoys her into being like, fine, I'll give up like this thing that I worked really hard for, which I feel like is just so sad. Yes, agree with all that. I would still put it all on Joyce because he could have just stopped. See, that's why I'd be like, I can definitely see why Joyce was your least favorite, especially considering that he put Aaron Boy up to this. But for annoyance's sake, Aaron Boy was worse. I agree. He was very annoying. As a human being, Joyce was worse. But as an annoyance, Aaron Boy. Also, like all the things that Sylvia did, how she like literally found him a doctor because he couldn't work because his eye issues. She was like essentially taking care of him. She gave him so many loans he never paid back. And then at the end, he just is like, give me the rest of the book because I want to make more money. Yeah, I was like, what is that? That's why I was like, I don't think that she would have. I don't know. It just to me seems crazy that she would have given up her publishing rights just because she had already invested so much into this book. Like from a business standpoint, that's just not a good idea. And like feminism is about in part advocating for being treated fairly and that's just not fair treatment. I think part of it too is, I don't know if this is the author's note or like in the book, is that she seemed to really have this feeling that she wanted more people to read it and like if some giant publishing house is going to put it out, more people will read it. And also I think that like, Adrian honestly was kind of pushing her in that direction too because she kept telling her to get rid of Joyce and like had that he was like dragging her down. I guess I could see that, yeah. 
Because I think it was like the amount of reverence that she talked about that book with, it was like it was the best thing that was ever published in her eyes. She was such a fan of the work that I think I could see her deciding to pass it along, if solely to get it published and make it not banned. So I think this ties in quite conveniently is one of the questions on the publisher's reading guide has to do with it takes place from 1917 to 1936. And basically, the whole vibe of the question is, is there anything that you saw happen then happen now with terms of like laws and censorship and things like that? Um, I feel like the book ban is back with a vengeance. I don't know. Like, I think it's why does somebody else get a choice in what someone reads? Overall, I think that this book banning is still an issue today. Like you can see it in Florida in the United States where they're trying to ban books from classrooms. Not all books, but they're making it difficult to have a physical library in the space. I'm someone who's under the impression that like knowledge is power. And so I think to deprive them of that knowledge is really a disservice to them. And I think a lot of this discussion is like, it's different picking age-appropriate books on certain topics. That's different from banning them completely. Yeah, exactly. At each age range, I'm sure you could get more in-depth into certain issues because maybe there's concerns about like what you tell a child when they're too young or there's literally just they won't understand it. Yeah, exactly. And that's why I'm like, I think it really does depend on like, the age and the maturity level. One of the questions says that basically Ulysses is like this real big deal in the reading world. And it's such a big deal that people have like faked reading it because they're like, I don't know, embarrassed that they have it. And the question asks is, what books? It says we all have books like this. And what ones have you pretended to read? Um, I don't think I've ever pretended to read any book. I don't think I have either. I think maybe if I was like an English major, I maybe would have pretended to read a book because I would have been like, of course, I've read the finest literature. In terms of classic literature, I'm going to be the first one to say that I'm not super well read in terms of classic literature. Like I've read some Shakespeare. I've read a couple things here and there. I've read the Canterbury Tales and Beowulf and all of that. But like in terms of other classical literature, it's just not what I personally gravitate towards myself when I'm just reading for, you know my own enjoyment but I don't think I've ever really like pretended to read books I mean maybe if I spark notes it for the class but like I feel like that's not the heart of the question because <laughs> I think everybody has spark notes for English class at some point in their lives I just don't see the point like for example neither of us have read Odysseus um what is the point of me going around telling people I read it I think it's to make you seem more like educated and sophisticated, you know, like, oh, I read this one that I, I will say that I read, but didn't fully read. And I'm sorry to my English teacher from college. If you're out there listening to this, first off, this English teacher went and added me on LinkedIn, which I've never been so honored in my whole life. Cause I was like, wow, like you remember me from that one English class I took. I only took like one English class with you. So I felt very honored. But I read this, but also combination spark notes this was Paradise Lost, 
I think it was a very interesting book. Just at the time, I did not have the time to fully devote to reading it. So I read some of it and I spark notes some of it. Is that the one where they had like the little uh, baby Cupid type things, the angels or something? I don't remember. It's been several years since I read it. It's Milton's Yeah, Milton's Par- Paradise Lost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They made us read that in high school? Oh, they made us read it in college. It was like a intro college literature. What is, is this the little, yeah, it's the little like cherubs. That's what it yeah. was. Cherubs. I couldn't remember. Um, I think we only had to read excerpts. Thank goodness. It's a very intense book. I would definitely read it again just because I think it like personally for me really made me like examine my thoughts and feelings on Christianity as a whole. So I think it was like a very interesting book for me for that reason. And it actually did kind of prompt me making art based kind of on it, but not really. It was very interesting. I think it was a good book. Did I fully read it? No. I think to your point of not reading that much classic lit is, at least for me, I think for a while, one, some of them, I think they made us read too young and we weren't really going to fully get it anyway. And I think that sometimes created a resentment in me towards classic lit where I was like, this stuff is dumb only because you're trying to force like a 16 year old to read this stuff written in like the 1700s or something. But I think I mentioned it before, after college graduation, I did go through this phase where I'm like, I want to read the classics. And I feel like it's different when it's voluntary. And I also think it's different when you don't have to do it for class because you don't feel like you're getting like tested on the concepts. Yeah. And I think it's also different in terms of a timeline, you know, because if you're reading it for class, you're like, I'm going to read this. I may not fully absorb it because I'm reading it really fast because I have to finish it for my class. So I think it's a little bit of a different feel. But I don't think that you have people who will, or at least I haven't really met a lot of people who will shame you for not having read a book. I think that most people who enjoy reading books just want somebody else to talk to about it and share their excitement about a certain book. I don't think it's as much snobbery or maybe I'm just not in that community. Like you said, maybe if we're getting like masters or PhDs in English, our communities would be different and there may be more pressure to have read certain things. But I still think that if you're in those communities and someone's like, huh, you haven't read Odysseus, I feel like that's someone you don't really want to be friends with anyway. You don't need that kind of negativity in your life. But there is a really fun question that I want to end with. And I don't even know if I really have a good answer because I only found it this morning and haven't really thought it through that much. But it says many of us dream owning a bookstore. And if you owned one, what three authors would you want to invite for a reading? I also think it's kind of fun to think of like, how do you imagine your bookstore? With my bookstore, I feel like I'd have a couple really comfy places to just sit down and read. I think it would be kind of art deco themed or like kind of like vintagey looking. Like I don't think I'd want like one of those ultra modern bookstores. That's just not me. It would be a little bit more like maximalist, you know, books falling off the shelves. <laughs> I don't know. What about you? I feel like the way they describe Sylvia's bookstore, especially at the first location, seemed very cozy because it was like, 
chairs and then just like too many books for the space. I like that though. I think it's just, it's a good vibe for a bookstore. So are there any authors you would want to come to your bookstore? I'm going to be honest. I don't think I have an author that is one of my favorite authors to the point where I've read all of their books that I would invite them to my bookstore. Like, I think I maybe did when I was a teenager because I would like read every single one of their books and every single one was amazing. But I feel like I don't serially read books in the same way where it's like I'm reading all of the books by this author. I feel like I hop around a bit more as an adult, so I don't have an author that I would necessarily invite. What about you? I think similarly is I read a lot more from different authors, but I think my first, this was like maybe starting late high school into college. My first author when I was like, who's my favorite author? And um, I had settled on at the time was like Frederick Bachman, who wrote, I think he's most well known for a man called Uwe. I feel like a lot of his stuff is character based. So I don't think it's necessarily for you. But he was one of the first ones where I was like, outside of say, I don't know, Sarah Dessen or like, Harry Potter, like I read multiple books from. So at the time, I decided that he was my favorite author. So I feel like for nostalgia's sake, I think it would be kind of interesting to just invite him there. I've also have still like kept up with his books mostly. I think part of it is that nostalgia factor where it's like, I've read all the other ones. So let's read this one. And then two other considerations I had was Kylie Fajardo Einstein and Xi Peng Zhang, only because I really liked their books and the way they wrote. So I thought it'd be interesting to hear them read their own work. Ooh, I agree with those last two very much so. I would also invite El Casamano for obvious reasons. See, these are like the type of authors that I'd want to be friends with. So our next book club where you can hear us maybe rant about how much we liked or didn't like the book is going to be Marrying the Ketchups by Jennifer Close and that will be dropping on April 3rd. I'm very excited about that one. I hope it lives up to my expectations. We hope you enjoyed our discussion on The Paris Bookseller by Carrie Meher. So if you read this and you did like it, or if you didn't like it, would love to hear your thoughts. You can send us an email or DM us on Instagram. And don't forget to rate and review Zillenio's Podcast on Apple Podcasts. You can find us at Zillenio's Podcast at gmail.com or Zillenio's Podcast on Instagram. Thanks so much, and we'll see you next time.